0: listening to the new episode of In Love With The Process. How are you? What's new? I am uh, sitting here recording on a sweltering hot day in August here in Boston, Um, but I'm not going to let that distract me because today's episode is really great. I mean, it marks our 20th episode. I never thought I'd do this many, but you guys really seem to like it. So why not? I'll just keep doing it. I'll keep doing it until you tell me not to. How's that sound? Uh, I just want to take a minute to thank all of our new followers on Instagram. If you haven't done it yet, follow In Love with the Process Pod. So that's In Love with the Process P-O-D. I've been using the account to curate a great collection of photography, concept art, and behind-the-scenes stuff from like big film sets. I mean, basically, it's an overall appreciation for everything that inspires me. Also, I've been getting fantastic responses from you guys on the episode uh, with photographer Steve Geralt. And my latest episode with my mom, which is super cool to hear that you guys like that one. I'm really proud of uh, a lot of the stuff she said on that show. And uh, I think it's surprisingly uh, one of the most heartfelt episodes that I've done yet. So that's cool, right? Um, I'm always looking for new ideas. So if you guys have an idea for a guest, if you guys have specific things you want to hear me talk about, um, the easiest way to get in touch with me... Is through the Instagram account. So if you follow In Love With The Process, P O D, you can leave me a message. Uh, you can comment on any of my posts. Give me some ideas, guys. I just heard yesterday while doing a live session there um, that uh, some folks want to hear about film distribution. So I'll see what I can do about that and see who we can get on the show. Um, I've got about five episodes planned right now that are ranging the gamut for guests. So stick around. I think it should be an interesting couple of weeks. Anyway, let's get to it. Today is going to be a good one, guys. Some of you may know that myself and my business partner Ian McFarland were directing music videos for years and for some really big acts. Bands like Killswitch Engage, Sugar, and Fear Factory. If you go back and listen to episode three, there's a long interview with uh, Killswitch Engage frontman Jesse Leach. Um, And there we talk about how music videos are actually made in real life and how uh, ideas are pitched to bands. Um, As you can probably guess, the competition was and is really severe. Sometimes we'd get a gig, but oftentimes we'd be outbid by today's guest. That's right, today I talk with one of our biggest competitors from back in the day. He was a tough man to beat, priding himself on filming well over a thousand music videos for some really huge acts. Okay, so I'm talking about T.I., Snoop Dogg, Buster Rhymes, Guns N' Roses, Fallout Boy, Ja Rule. Jesus Christ, the list goes fucking on and on. Now at the time when we were losing these gigs, we wanted to know more about who this music video machine was. We had heard rumors from other bands, label reps, and crew members that had been on his sets. Whisperings about a man called Rage. Now of course, my first response is, Rage? What do you mean rage? Is he like a maniac or something? Is he crazy on sets? Well, we'll find out today. I've only had brief Twitter conversations with this dude, and I have been dying to talk with this guy on the phone, the infamous Dale Rage Restanini. It's inspiring what a force of nature he is, and I hope that we'll get some insight in how he started, how he produces so many damn videos, and more importantly, where the rage comes from. This is gonna be a good one, guys, so you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, drown out that crazy person on the bus, sit back and enjoy the new episode of In Love with the Process. So, hey, Dale, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate uh, you coming on to talk with me, man.
1: Oh, good, brother. I appreciate it.
0: Um, So uh, we were chatting earlier about uh, how a lot of directors don't communicate. And uh, like a lot of directors feel like they're competition and they're kind of either afraid to talk with each other. Um, and I I think that sort of spans across the business, whether you're talking about photography or directing. And I think it's really a huge mistake. I think it's a great thing to communicate with folks that you're competing with. Cause you know what, honestly, half the time I feel like a job goes to the person that it's perfect for. It's not necessarily anything to be pissed off at each other about, you know what I mean?
1: Well, I mean, there's two schools of thought. I mean, I had this this, this, this talking point quite a bit with, with people because I'm from Boston, which is a a sports town and because I grew up in a very competitive, you know, town and everything is Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics. Like (laughs) I I just have this, 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 this competitive thing in me. And because I'm, I've always been artistic and always been competitive in sports. Um, me, uh, most of my experience has been less about this being an art form then it has been sort of like this, this, this all out combat with, with people. And, in a much, in a much different time, long, a long time ago, Darren Doan, who he is somebody who was, uh, was, was at the forefront of doing hardcore metal videos. Yes, uh, yes, I remember when remember. I used to have these, uh, I mean, back when in the internet was, was, was really young, we would always be pit against each other. And, um, uh, we had a lot of beef, and then his protege at the time, Shane Drake, and I ended up having beefs. And I mean, we're all friends now, but it was, a, and even Lex Hallaby, I mean, it was one of these things where uh, we've we've all become friends, and we've all worked with a lot of the same artists. And um, but you know, that was a different time when it was only three or four or five, maybe six directors going up for a job because it was a different business model when labels controlled what went into stores and what went on tv and what videos were done there was a schedule to everything now it's an all-out it's an all-out ocean of just chaos and pandemonium and everybody's (laughs) releasing things at a million times and there's there's barely any budget by comparison to what it used to be so um but having said that you know you know some of the ogs i'm not talking about the ogs before us But, you know, we come we are not regarded as 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 old school gangsters in this, this business. <laughs> um a, a lot of us have such a solid foundation and a lot of relationships with executives with managers with agents with bands uh, they don't want to deal with all the unknown variables of, of 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 who the latest johnny come or jenny come lately are they want to just deal with okay yeah. I worked with Ian I worked with Rage I worked with you know Darren I worked with you know whoever and just want to get the job done this is what we have this is our schedule and can you do it yes or no and and we and on
0: exactly man exactly Um, you know what and we're gonna get into all that sort of stuff but I just want to sort of get to the beginning of this and answer whatever you feel like man if there's anything you don't want to talk about no big deal Um, but uh, I don't know that much about you and when I first was told about you I think I was told about you from a crew member that I worked on that may have worked on one of your sets and they're like yeah we work for this dude named Rage and I was like who's Rage (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea man and Uh, I started to do the research. I found out that, like you said, you are from Boston, which is like, oh, cool. It's another Boston boy. Um, But then I I just you have Rage Nation. You have all this stuff. Where does rage come from? Like, where does that originate from? So
1: going back to 1996 or seven, when I was just established, established myself as as a as a as a a guy who's going to be a writer and director. Um, back before the dot-com hunt became such a thing, I wanted to have my company that sort of – a company name that sort of defined – I, I kind of felt like my life up until that point, I felt like I was always in a rage against something. And I felt like Raging Nation, like just something that kind of stood out. And this is before Rough Nation, before Rock Nation, before much of the nation's. It was Raging Nation, and I and I ended up going to get the .dot com, and, and I, that became sort of just my, my brand. This is before I had um, directed my first film, before I directed. And I didn't do my first music video until two thousand and three, which was for Hate Breed, appropriately, appropriately titled "Perseverance." Um, uh-huh. but, uh, but going back to Raging Nation, I wonder a name that sort of just stood out as like this 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 defiant but um, progressive sort of like vibe and um in no way did that did that uh company name was it intended to become sort of a moniker or or nickname for me um that that came from literally after I'd already doing like a 200 or so rock and metal videos before i started to segue into hip-hop and i had already done a few hip-hop videos my name that appeared on MTV and BET was always Dale Rage, I, I'm sorry, Dale Restigini, and then Dale Rage Restigini. But the name Rage came from at a very pivotal moment when I had already had some successes in hip hop with Jim Jones, Dipset, Mims, and some other people. I was tapped to do uh, a video for a then unknown but exploding new artist named Soldier Boy. Uh-huh. And he, he had a song called Crank That, which uh, to this day, that video that we ended up doing is regarded as, as having the widest reach of any video at any time, even bigger than Beyonce or Michael Jackson or Lady Gaga. There's this amazing site called Visual Visual Visible Visible Measures that, that, that tracks all that stuff, uh, algorithms and, and all that stuff. And, and so that video was given to me um, by a – awarded to me by a manager named um, Smurf, Uh Michael Crooms, who was known for doing yin-yang twins, bu- yin twins and a bunch of other huge, iconic Southern artists. And even though Brian Barber wanted to do it and Hype Williams wanted to do it and all these other A-list directors wanted to do it, I was just coming into my own in hip-hop after nailing some some, some, some big videos. And, and he was referred to me by somebody that did radio for E1 Koch. And they, oh. he said, met with me down in Atlanta. While I was down in Atlanta doing a video. He said, you know what? I'm going to have you do this video because it needs just a different thing that we're used to having down here. And he goes, but do me a favor. I heard that somebody called you Rage Onset. And I, I it's kind of <laughs> funny because how I got that that unofficial nickname was I was doing an Unearthed video. Uh, how do you go from Soldier Boy to Unearth? <laughs> so I was doing an Unearthed video in Harlem, um, of all places, at 2 o'clock in the morning underneath this bridge. And Paul Conroy, who was managing it at the time, um, they had $6,000. I was shooting it on film. Um, my DP Jesus. was my, 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 you know, this is 2004, 2003, 2004. It was for a song called the great dividers. This is back when things are still done on film. This is before any HD pro Summer HD before 24 P yep. like, so, so, um, um, Cliff Charles was my DP. Cliff Charles now does that TV show Cloak and Dagger. He also did one the Levy's Book for Spike Lee. He's done a million things. So, so I was doing the video. And back then on a $4,000 budget, whatever it was, it was five rolls of 35. There was no money for monitor. There was no money for megaphone, no money, no money for anything except just to film the camera and a couple of highway construction lights that I, I rented for like 200 bucks a piece. And I had two of them. So um <laughs> I, I I was I was always screaming and this is before I even realized there was a thing called drum pads. So um uh when you're filming bands and a drummer and the drummer's just wailing away with on the cymbals and the skins, it, it creates so much noise, it, it it's so hard for the rest of the band to stay in time. Yeah. It's not impossible. And it's always caused caused me to scream. So people interpreted me screaming on set as somebody who was very angry, when in fact I'm just trying to give some good direction. And, um, that's where the name rage comes from. So, uh, so he had heard that from D that I, I had a, this nickname called rage. And he said, if, if I give you this video, I don't want you to go by Dale Restagini. I want you to go by rage. And I've said that, I said <laughs> that, you know what, that's fine with me because I would go to award shows and run into people like T-Pain and, and Snoop. And they'd be like, well, yeah, we saw your video, but what's your name? Because my name is Dale Restigini, there's just too many syllables that people get lost. They liked hype. They liked boom. They liked X. They liked, you know, one-syllable names. And so I said, you know what, I'll go with Rage. And Rage ended up becoming a pretty good brand decision because um, for the most part, it worked to my advantage where I just, oh, yeah, Rage, Rage, let's get a Rage video, call Rage, call Rage. So it worked to my advantage. Um... To a very very large degree, and I had a, a an amazing run uh, at that time when budgets still what they were. But then you know there were some hipsters and there were some real <laughs> soft commissioners that were like, "Oh, Rage, we heard about him. He's hard to work with." And oh, rage. <laughs> I'm like, "All right, this is this is ridiculous." But for the most part, it it, it was it was pretty amazing. And one funny story, one final funny story. I was doing one of my first ever big videos in London for a group called N and they sent this. Uh, they sent this this very contrite small petite uh girl to pick me up from um uh, to receive me from um the airport when I was walking out off the plane and <laughs> he was holding up this sign that said rage <laughs> and, and, and she said, People were looking at me like they expected to see some giant come out of the <laughs> tunnel and uh, <laughs> no, it was just just me. So I said, No, my name's Dale, but Rage is fine. So there you go.
0: What a great backstory, man. I had no idea. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And some people, you know, people, all, most people want to, in life, they just want to come to a conclusion. So when people meet me uh, or they hear about me, and, and when I'm dealing with my, with business people, they do want to be called Dale or Rage. I'm like, whatever's easier for you, whatever best is, whatever's best for you in terms of the kind of business we're going to be dealing with. Dale is fine. Rage is fine. Whatever you, whatever. It's not like there's this tattoo across my head or I'm rage and call me rage. And you know, it just, so that's the backstory.
0: <laughs> well, that's great, man. Thank you for getting into it. Cause I had no idea. <laughs> um, so I'm also, I was just doing a little research on you in general. Cause I like to do that before I do the shows. Yeah. And, uh, it said that, uh, you got started working on film sets, right? Were you working? I think you listed something like you were working for Roland Emmerich and stuff like that. How did you actually get into film? Was it, was it just right, so, picking so, up so, so, a camera and so, doing music videos?
1: So that would be, I guess, if there was a really soft and gent- genteel um, PR version of my life. I guess that would be one way to start. But uh, basically, starting from less than zero, having spent, uh, having gotten arrested some somewhere between forty and fifty times between the ages of sixteen and, and nineteen.
0: Jesus, what I mean, were you? What were you like, Robin Banks? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, and,
1: and up until the age of 24, 22 23 and i was spending about almost four years behind bars state federal seven different states so basically i was on a crash course of just like all things you know chaos and wreckage you know for for the first 20 years of my life and i've always i was always autistic, always a good kid just doing you know screwed up shit so uh i ended up i ended up On my last time, I, the last time I ever got arrested, I was looking at six years, right? So check it out. Six years. I ended up only getting six, six months because that year and a half I was waiting for sentencing and whatnot. I spent my time between Boston and New York working on every set I could, I could, I could work on from Godzilla, which was Roland Emmerich's film to, um, uh, uh, the crucible where I was working both as a production assistant and as a background actor, hanging out with one on a rider and, 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 um, uh, Deanna Day-Lewis having a conversation with them and even the director, Hit- Nicholas Heitner, and cool. also on uh, Celtic pride with Dan Aykroyd and, and, um, and that, ho- that whole squad, and then going back to New York city and working on, you know, more films, uh, even working on the devil's advocate with, and even, even Donnie Brasco where I was a, stand-in for the for the strip club owner manager that was selling the fugazi to to uh or the alleged fugazi to to um to Pacino uh that standing that the actor was late so I was a stand-in and for like an hour and a half I was literally had my throat grabbed by Johnny Depp and with Al Pacino and Mike Newell the director who was no longer with us, standing over me and I'm like wow this is like I'm really I get my I'm being choked by Johnny Depp and Al Pacino staring at me for like an hour and a half and like you know (laughs) I get so many little and I was at that same time, I was still a, I was a stand-in for uh, John Bon Jovi's video for "Walking to Chelsea" for John Bon Jovi with Mark Te- with Mark Pendleton, who was a director, where they locked down the entire of Times Square uh, wow. to having conversations with Alfonso Corone on um, on uh, on uh, "Great Expectations," uh, I, I to having a speaking line with Harrison Ford and Sabrina. Um, just all these I've had these. Uh, so I started as an actor first. While and just be okay, so let me go back even further. So, after the, all the, 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 the jail and chaos stuff, I, I was a male stripper in Boston at a place called uh, right,
0: right, right. I heard yeah. about this,
1: so that's yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. I thought that was a yeah, rumor, yeah. No, at the male encounter uh show at, at the palace in Saugus, so um, <laughs> so so and that was and I and I and I, I became a stripper because. I was like, after I had spent time locked up in Florida, uh, I came back and I was buff, I was working out. I learned how to play spades and dominoes, all the jailhouse shit. So yeah. I was like, and I heard one day I was actually working for the town of Framingham for the highway department and the, and the trash department. And I was like, let me, and I heard an audition for the Male Encounter, be a male stripper. I was like, why not? So I went and anyway, I think I remember, so this, yeah, this is real history. So I think the song I danced to for my audition for the Male Encounter stripper was Animotion's, um song for, um, what was in emotions big big hit oh. um, obsession <laughs> um yeah so 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 all that led me to then become an an actor taking acting classes from colleges pickman and angela perry and uh all the boston roots and that led me to moving to new york city and then that led me to doing the new york city thing and then you know between getting a little bit in trouble and, and balancing that out with with leaving that behind and then starting my, my career as a filmmaker. The last time I was incarcerated, I wrote, I, I, I found a book. So this is a really, this is a really good, important story. And okay. Well, so I was, I was, I was incarcerated and I, uh, in this particular federal facility, there was a, uh, there was, there was basically no books in the law library. There was just, there was just like one row of books and of the books I saw, it was, it was thick. It stood out and says the kid stays in the picture. Are you familiar with huh. that book? No, I don't know it. It's a life story about Robert Evans. Robert Evans was became a legendary producer of films like The Godfather and Apocalypse Now, the yep. yep. Love Story. This guy's story, he was just a kid in New York City growing up with Dick Van Patten. And he one of the, his parents owned the Eva Pacone clothing line. But that had little to do with his life, as he left New York City at a young age to be to be an actor in L.A. He was a failed, actor did a couple of small parts here and there, but he he ended up running Paramount Studios, huh. and he's best known for quoting the quoting the um, the term of getting your fuck you money in any deal. Um, <laughs> you know, it's an um, no, it's an it's an it's it's an amazing story. And there was a documentary that was done by him by a local Boston woman. You you will know her name too. Her name's escaping me, but she's a Boston woman that did it. I turned the book into a documentary, and okay. the documentary was cool, but it didn't do the book anywhere near it, it, the justice. The stories, the 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 the, the icons that were involved It's just—it's an amazing. And I said, "Wow, this guy, basically, ended up running Paramount Studios." From nothing, and a lot of the stories, like why well, he basically was an underdog. So that inspired me while I was still incarcerated at that point in time to write my first script called Colors of Rage on an old school typewriter, page by page. And I ended up coming out and ended up making that 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 film. I, I cool. was I just wanted to act in it and write it, but I couldn't find anybody to, to direct it, and there was no money. So I ended up making it for like thirty or forty thousand bucks. And sold it to Univix Entertainment for $235,000. Had Redman in wow. it, Queen Anne in it, some other people in it. So so it was from there I decided uh, – Sabine Hoffman was my editor. Sabine Hoffman was best known at that point in time for cutting hurricane streets for Morgan J. Freeman. She's a German uh, – she's, she's German, but now she cuts uh, – a lot of Rebecca Miller stuff who's Arthur Miller's daughter, very very well known respected editor and she said listen Dale uh, I I'm friends with my um Gary Winnick who's 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 not with us anymore and some other people and and um I feel like you sh- you're so talented and I love what you what you've done Let's make some more films here. And and she wanted to bring me into like it was Green Street films and um, Open City films. And this was back when Good Machine was there. Like a totally when I would run into New York City and run into people like Jim Jarmusch or Britta Benini, uh-huh. like a New uh-huh. York City indie film scene. But at that point in time, I was reading about and meeting guys like Brett Ratner and Steve Carr who were doing a lot of Def Jam stuff literally music videos with, with, with Method Man, Redman and all the big artists at that point in time and going from music videos to films, like to, to Russia. I'm like, whoa, I gotta get on this band. This is the bandwagon I wanna be on. So then I shifted yeah, the focus yeah. instead of doing the poor independent film filmmaker New York City thing to I wanna, you know, be making my own rush hours. So then I decided to start pushing for music videos and it took about three or four years after hitting the streets. I would run into people like Puffy and Busta all in New York city. And that was like, no, I'm using my guy Benny. I'm using my fam over here. And I was getting shut down everywhere we went. And, um, so while I was still pushing on the music video front in New York city, as an aspiring filmmaker, uh, one of my friends, um, said, Hey, listen, do you want to shoot this tour called Tattoo the earth in 2000? And, um, Uh I'm like, sure. I had a, Canon XL1, I, I just shot a movie with it called The, uh, the Hip Hop Witch with Eminem in it and Proz from the Fujis and Rod Digga, Eminem made a cameo and a bunch of other rappers. But I'm like, okay, those are, you know, it was a spoof. It was okay. It was just another film that I sold, but music videos is what I want to do. So I figured I'll jump on this tour and see if I can meet some people. And the tour, it was like had Slipknot, Slayer, Sepultura, Seven Dust, Hatebreed, Mudvayne, all these bands. And I was so far removed from metal at that point in time because it was just a different time from the time I graduated high school in 86 to then being locked up and living my crazy life and doing movies. Music really wasn't such a big part of it. Yeah. So then yeah. here I am suddenly in, um, I think Portland, Oregon was the first date and I'm meeting all these bands. Jamie Josta was one of the first guys that came to me and said, yo, I heard you did a movie with Eminem. Yo, we're going to need to do something. And and uh, me and J- Josta became really, really good friends, uh, as, as many of you guys know, and um. So after meeting Jasta in 2000, it was finally in 2003, he said, listen, I got a video I want you to do. Mark Webb just did our first video for I Will Be Heard, and it's on the X soundtrack for Rob Cohen. He I goes, I got one called Perseverance. And that was 20 grand from Universal Republic, and it was the first official music I had ever done. And um, and when it premiered on Headbangers Ball, it became like a little mini atomic explosion because The way I did it shot on film was freezing cold. It was pure brutality. It was like it was performance based, but it just it just it just hit home. And that signaled to a lot of people from Century Media, Roadrun, everybody that, okay, there's a new guy here in town and he's about to do some stuff. And that's sort of what set me on my course in music videos um, was that very first video Perseverance with uh, with Hatebreed. So that's such a great uh, tangent, really, because you
0: just answered, like, a bunch of my questions there. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, no, yeah, what you're not, not going to get from me is, you know, I picked up a camera when I was 11 years old, and I saw a butterfly, and I became inspired by the <laughs> butterfly. I, 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 or, listen, I know that's a lot of people's stories, but it's just not mine. I mean, my career is built on survival, blood, sweat, and tears, passion, and a whole lot of rage and desire just to win. So, um, and in that, like, I'm very much um, – didn't go to film school, uh, but th- the films I found a lot of solace in my in my uh, crazy life growing up with movies and, and TV. So I loved pretty much anything from Tony Scott, Ridley Scott, Michael Mann, early Michael Mann, yeah, like those films and even films. You know, like Clint Eastwood's Every Which Way But Loose and Hooper with Burt Reynolds and this, uh, um, um, Escape from Alcatraz with, with Clint Eastwood. Like there's certain movies that just hit home for me. And uh, But visually, all the DPs and directors like Michael Mann, uh, Tony Scott, Ridley Scott, uh, they resonate with me. And to this day, a lot of the DPs I work with who are now we're all crushing it uh, – with feature one, just did uh, escape plan Two. Yep. he also did cutthroat city with RZA one did house of cards. Uh, one did altered carbon. Um, all my guys are killing it. And they're like, yo, Dale, like, you're, like you're literally like the, you need to just drop now. Like you need just like, you're, we're waiting for you because I'm literally like the guy that's been doing it as long, if not longer, who just hasn't found that right thing. That first domino tip in on that level. Sure. I'm crushing it in the way I've been crushing it in my own little humble way, but the goal has always been to kill it with with film and TV on a, on, a, on a grandiose level, and that's what things are leading up to, like right now at this very very moment. So
0: that's great, dude, and I completely sympathize with that. It's the same sort of trajectory on my end of things because Ian and I partnered up years ago to start directing music videos together. We co-directed for years, and then we started to uh, direct individually. Like Ian's doing a lot of doc stuff. Now he just did the Godfathers a hardcore, which is, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fucking killer movie and that's doing really well. And then I sort of split it off and started to do a lot of horror and sci-fi shit. Um, and I just, yeah, well, like, I, see
1: your, I see your imagery and, uh, I see pictures and I like all the color. So as much as I can support and like, and do things like that, I always do. So thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And it's, it's that same grind where you're trying
0: really hard to sort of break the genre that you have, been established in, and trying to find, as you said, that right tipping point to get things rolling. Um, but, I, dude, I wish you the, the, the most luck with that stuff. Because if anything, you're one of the most driven motherfuckers that I've ever had an opportunity to watch. No, thanks.
1: thanks.
0: hope you guys are enjoying the episode. I just wanna take a quick break here to talk about our sponsors. First up, audible.com. Um, I don't know if you guys are like I am. I have a lot of trouble uh, sitting down and reading a book these days. Most of the time, uh, it's at the end of the day. And I get about five pages into it and I fall asleep. Uh, I find that if I listen to an audiobook, however, I can get through it a lot quicker uh, and I stay awake a lot longer. Um, and so I reached out, turned to Audible, Uh, and started to download a couple of books. And the one I'm reading right now is uh, Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, which if you don't know what it is, it's the sequel to The Shining. Uh, And the book is fantastic. Um, I've been talking about it over the past couple of episodes. Um, It picks up right after the events of The Shining and uh, catches up with Danny still dealing with uh, these special powers that he has. Uh, And it turns out there are a lot of other people out there that have the same powers that he does. So it's super cool, super creepy book. Um, And uh, we made a deal with Audible as a sponsor that if you guys sign up for a 30-day free trial, so 30 days for free, um, everybody that signs up, we get about 15 bucks, which is really cool. Um, So definitely follow the link below. You can go to it's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process so that's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process um, they have a huge selection of books and when you sign up for the 30day free trial you also get a credit for a book so you can actually try the whole thing out uh, you could download it to your phone you can download it to your computer I've got mine on my phone and then I use my noise cancelling headphones um, and it really sort of puts me into the world. Stephen King. Um, so please help us out support the show. Uh, go to audible.com actually go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. Uh, our second sponsor, longtime running sponsor for the show is uh, Rule Boston Camera. If you are on the East Coast like uh, Maine, New Hampshire, Boston, even New York, and you're looking to rent some of the best uh, uh, film and TV equipment. Uh, definitely check out Rule Boston Camera. They're my favorite rental house in the Northeast. Um, and even if you haven't rented gear yet, and if you're a young filmmaker and you're just feeling a little timid about renting gear, uh, write them an email, go hang out with them. Uh, they teach you how to use stuff. Uh, you get your hands on really cutting edge technology. Uh, all that shit that you guys are liking in on Instagram, these guys have in their shop and you're allowed to go in and play with it. Um, So definitely check them out. Go to rulebostoncamera.com. And that's all for this episode. But I want to get us right back in with Dale because it is a fascinating conversation. You know what, let me just dig in a little bit deeper here. And I kind of want to go back because I'm fascinated with how people get started. And I'm fascinated with jobs that that folks take. Like early on, I used to be like an airplane mechanic. I was a car mechanic. I used to do that stuff. And I decided that I wanted to do film and I decided that every day that I don't have to use my hands for work, I have to earn, I have to earn that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it ultimately puts this sort of anxiety that I've had for, you know, 18, 19 years like, what the fuck am I doing today? Right. Um, but I'm curious about, and I'm fascinated about the, the, the male stripping stuff. Like I've heard rumors. I, that the women in those places are fucking crazy. You know, that yeah. must've been like a wild fucking period of time. Right.
1: Dude, it was uh three years of just uh three to four years of just, uh, I mean stuff. I mean, magic Mike is, is tame compared to some of the things that, uh, <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, it was literally just fun. So my first year, two years, I was part of this whole, um, thing at the palace called the male encounter where they had featured dancers and you had like, you know, the, the, the hosts, the, the tape, uh, podium dancers. And, you know, uh, eventually, you know, you get, you get to hear about how, you know, if you, if you go out on your own and, uh, you just, uh, you know, join a, join a firm, um, an agency, you can make a lot more money. So ultimately, you know, it was cool. You know, I used to, I used to at, at every, Literally I would leave from Framingham, Massachusetts and get my brand new Trans Am. I was 19 years old. I had a brand new Trans Am. Wow. PTA, T-tops, black on black with honeycomb rims herringbone chain. I would be blasting. I would go I would go from Route 9 to the Mass Pike to what was it? Uh 95 and yeah. I would be blasting the Cult. Like, you know, uh, she so sanctuary that that whole that CD or the, that cassette and this, you know, Fire Woman. Like I was into the cult back then, and Van Halen, of course, um, White Snake. So I was blasting that stuff my whole way up. It was like it would normally be about 90, 90 minutes, but I'd try to do that drive in like 40 minutes. So I was going like 100 miles an hour the whole way. <laughs> um, and i get there, meet the girls, hang out, get ready. So it was all so my life then was working out, staying tan, and, 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 and meeting girls. That was my life and making money. So so, but eventually, like, you know, you hear about these stories about making more money on the side. So, and you, and they would never let you do both. So I said, let me just leave the mail encounter and join this agency. I think it was called Dances and the Limit out of Lynn. Uh-huh. You know that old thing in Lynn, 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 uh, the City of Sin. City of the Sin, way.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the City of Sin. You never come out the way you go in, kind of a th- whatever it was. Uh, so then then I just started getting, I used to go to BU, BC. I would go to, you know, um, women's um bachelorette parties and i mean we'll keep this pg cuz i don't want to get escalated with you but you, there's you a could, lot yeah, of yeah. things a lot of things that you see in movies like like one story without getting graphic like you know the woman who's getting married the next day with a guy for the next you know 50 60 years literally would just do did anything i wanted her to do like it just Crazy. (laughs) I mean, literally things that you write about in movies, like when people believe this, they actually, they actually do happen. So um, it was fun. It was, it was, it was a great time. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time.
0: Fucking cool, man. Uh, Well, let's get back into the music video stuff. So then you uh, started uh, doing a lot of like uh, metal and uh, like hardcore stuff. And then you made the transition into uh, hip hop And from my own experience, just getting production insurance for music videos, the first question that an insurance company will ask you is, is it a hip-hop video? Right. Um, uh, And I've seen your lineup of of videos you've done. You must have some insane uh, location stories working with these guys. What's the strangest video that you've done for hip-hop?
1: Let me see. I I don't know that strangest is the right word, but um, one of the oddest – and most difficult, I was doing a video. I was doing, I was scheduled to do two videos back to back one for Little Wayne and then one for Little Wayne and Birdman. One of them we ended up doing is called I Run This Shit. It was Birdman, Little Rain. Uh-huh. And um, we we're going to do a Millie, which was one of Wayne's biggest at that point in time, the next day. So, what would happen was we were in Atlanta and I had already worked with Birdman and Little Wayne a bunch of times before always been cool, uh, never any issue. Um, and I, I'd even seen them the day before this shoot and we were cool. We were just going over the final, the final, the final storyboard. So after my crew and I were at the mansion that he selected for our first setup mm-hmm. for three hours, getting a, you know, running cable, distro, generator gear, Models going through wardrobe and makeup and glam and blah, 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 crafties, you know, all that stuff. He shows up on his uh, on his bus with Slim and he he walks off the bus. And the first thing he said to me was the first thing he said, I don't want any shit out of you today. And I was like, what? It's, it's like me seeing you tomorrow after this conversation. That's the first thing you say to me. It's like, what did they even come from? Like, what is that? Like I didn't, but you know, having been locked up for many, many years, many times with, with black guys and, and, and just people running their mouths. It's like, you know, and you just let shit go off the, you know, off the shoulder. Yeah. So I was like, I, I didn't take offense to it. I was like, okay, whatever. He's just, whatever. You need, whether you wanted to say it to be big in front of somebody, I, I didn't care. Cause I was going to make, 40 grand that day between my director fee and production fee. It was all about money and, and I can give a crap about the other shit. So, wow. so sure enough, five minutes later, we, we we actually walk around the corner. We get to the house, to the mansion I mean. And he looks up and he says, "Um, wait, uh, that's not the mansion I wanted. And I'm like, I'm shaking my head. And, and the commission is there too. And that was an immediate signal of, okay, wait, something's This is going to be a bad bad day just because like it just means immediately when he said that is like overages bullshit time fighting blah blah so i said yeah here's the i asked my id to pull up the email and that's the one he picked and he goes well somebody made a mistake because that's not what i want i'm not going to shoot the video right and so my commission my commission is like meanwhile this this video the budget for this video is like 240 grand and the one for the next day is going to be 150 grand so anyway so um so the commissioner says the commissioner by the way who ha- has worked with cash money for about 10 years and has made a, an insane amount of money with them yeah. obviously yeah. he hires me to come in and do the video but he's gone i already know he's going to side with them no matter what happens he's going to side with them cuz that's he gets a lot of side money with them so i said okay you know what we're going to do let's just uh let's just get an get a new mansion because I knew no matter what, there was something behind this, 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 uh, really bad situation. I couldn't have, I didn't know what it was and I didn't have time to try to figure it out. And it just didn't matter. I'm, I, I just said this, uh, rather than make it 40 grand, I'll make 25 grand between the overages and between the, 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 the new, the new place. So I was like, okay, fine. Because remember, think about where I, where I told you I came from and where I started and, making yep. 25 grand a day versus 40 grand. It doesn't like, it's money. I'm still winning. So I said, let me just put this, this, this negative energy behind me, get a new mansion and go and, and start anew. So we did, we found another mansion. We lost a lot of time, lost a lot of daylight. And so we finally get there. And then I figured we, we, maybe the worst is behind and we're moving forward. No, that would be too, too much in wishful thinking. <laughs> so, so, um, I, so we finally land, get there, everything's being set up, and uh, we had a driving shot that was that was set up, um, and we only had about maybe 45 minutes to an hour left of sunlight. And I told I told my guy to go get baby out of the out of his uh, motorhome to to come to the driving shot. Uh-huh. And you know it's, it's it's Atlanta, so even just walking to the motorhome is you know it's three minutes. It's not like it's just like you know like two feet away. So he comes back to me ten minutes later saying, Baby wants to talk to you on the bus. I'm shaking my head what, like what can they possibly want to talk about when I said we have to get this driving shot done. The sun's going down now. <laughs> so I go walk out of the bus and and, and on the bus, the commissioner's there, security's there and, and we're talking he's like, So um so so what's going on? And of course I'm looking at him like, Okay, what's going on? So what's going on is we only have forty minutes of sun left and we need to get you in the car to the driving shot. He said to me, well, I want to have lunch with my son first. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, so if you want to have lunch with your son first, we're going to lose the shot. And then um, he, he reaches out with his with his hand and he sort of points with his two fingers on my shoulder. He says, why are you trying to fuck up my video? And the second he touched me, I took my double fist. I launched into his, into his body and <laughs> security jumped in. Uh, the commissioner jumped in, the bus started shaking. It was screaming, dare rage, get off the bus, get off the bus. And so there was like this moment of just like, and my AD wizard is like, yo, I ain't ever see anybody go a baby like that. And I'm like, this is just stupid. Like, this is literally stupid. Right. So, (laughs) so, so we didn't get the driving shot. And at the same time, when I'm leaving the bus, leaving that area, unbeknownst to me, one of my crew were was backing up one of the grip trucks and it smashed into his his motorhome, and he thought somehow that was me in a car trying to ram his motorhome. It was like really bizarre. It was like totally just craziness. Weird. So, yeah. So I go I go back in the house, um, getting ready for what would be the next shot, and my DP Joe Labisi and I were going over the shot. And um, so we have lunch, and we come back. We start shooting again. Everybody calmed down, baby on baby side, and so we're shooting. And he was he was being a, a bitch all day after that. And I mean, we're cool now. I mean, we're cool after all these years, but at that point in time, like he was just being what he was being. So, so now we're filming inside the mansion and little Wayne's late, little Wayne finally shows up. And this is when he was heavy, 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 heavy into his soul, syrup, his stuff he was drinking, codeine. And so we're in the living room doing the shot and behind me to my right is the commissioner who's, who's the guy I told you, who's been working with the guys for about, you know, 10 years. Uh, yep. as Wayne's performing, he's sitting down, it looks a little dreary-eyed because he's all you know high on his on his shit. Je- uh, so, so the guy behind me is yelling, Wayne, get up. Wayne, get up, like screaming over the playback and over everything else. Wayne somehow thinks that's me scree- telling him how to perform. <laughs> and even though that still would be in my in my line of duty to do, it wasn't me. He somehow was thought it was me. He stood up, he said, Everybody cut, cut, cut. I don't want any white motherfuckers. Right? And that second he said those words, me and my whole crew, white and black and Joel, we just left set. It was like, fuck you, get the fuck out of here with that <laughs> dumb shit. So we all left. We're, we just literally walking off set. Slim comes out. His other managers come out say, no, we apologize. It won't happen again. Blah, blah. So we end up going back and finishing the video. Baby was a, he was a, he was a bitch all day long and it took forever to do. We got the overtime covered and then, so that day's over. The next day, getting ready to shoot Millie, we're all there and um, at the studio, a different location. Get ready to start the day, uh, waiting for them to show up on set. And baby's bus pulls up, and he's down the road, and he, and he says, and he call, and I'm there with with the commissioner and, and and some of my crew in the street, like waiting on the bus from the show up so we can get started. So we all see the bus stopped on the end of the road. Je, uh the commissioner gets a gets a call and um it's it's baby and he says, uh, yo, um, what's going on? And he's like, Well, we're waiting for you guys. You guys are like two hours late. He says, Well, I'm not gonna come in into a rage leaf set. I'm Whoa. like, so is it that da- so you're, you're so you're not that so you're that much of a bitch where you can't even be a man even after differences, even though they're all your differences and, and just come do the job. So I ended up uh leaving set and they didn't do the video. And that's, so that's one of the strangest artist hip hop uh, videos I, I, I've done.
0: It's such a weird uh, dealing with ego is such a fascinating challenge when you're doing this sort of stuff. And then half the time you're sort of trying to figure out like, why are you acting this way? Are you nervous about something? Like have you heard something there directing in general, that's one of the toughest parts of it is just trying to figure out intention and ego uh-huh. Well,
1: you know, I just had this conversation literally two days ago. And again, I, I have to attribute if I if I wasn't incarcerated and I didn't learn I, if I wasn't in a cell that was built for 12 people, if I wasn't in a cell for with 24 people where the ratio from blacks to whites was 22 to, to one and a half and learning, learning what I like, if I didn't go through experience as, as, as a as a 17, 18, 19 year old kid, I wouldn't have I don't think I'd have the depth to understand it. But but. When you're in that situation and that scenario, you learn you're like like I I now look at it like this. If I'm dealing with dum-dums or ignorant people who have a lot of money and want me to do the video, I can deal with ignorance all day because they're still paying me. Like I can deal with ignorance. My right. ego's not <laughs> that big. They're paying me. I don't I don't care. Like I just you know and and it's not gonna come. It's not gonna it's you know and no one's gonna start swinging because they know that it's gonna be a fight so it's just it's just dumb dumb shit so like i can deal with that stuff and again this is the part of 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 the job over the thousand or those those videos uh i've thousands of videos i've done where i've had to really i've had few opportunities to really get as, as hard as that may be to believe I've had very few opportunities to really get my really good creative. I could actually probably list you about 10 videos. I feel have been like my absolute creative vision as opposed to all the other stuff that comes in, you know, whether it's rock videos too. I mean, I've worked with follow up boy, I've worked with a bunch of different bands and um, everybody wants to have their influence and you you know what it's like, you you know, and and I I will always the. I will always Defer, um, you know, I didn't write the song; it wasn't my experience. Um, I don't see seven red balloons and yellow balloon in a in a in a in a in a in a, in a crow with feet uh, with human feet as really being the vision. But if you do, <laughs> then, then then we'll make it happen. You know, you know, you know. I am trying to say because sometimes people just have off these, these off the wall uh, ideas, and it, it it is what it is. But for the most part, you know, e- managing egos. And not just the egos for the artists, but the egos for the for, for, for the label people yes. involved. Not just yes. not just the manager, not just the, the promo guy at radio, but the video commissioner nine times out of ten is just a money manager who's looking to hire their people so they can make money and they want a Gucci handbag to fall off the cart that they could claim is lost and damaged. And keep, like so many stories, the payola part of it. I've had to deal yes. with that stuff. And, and 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 to know that I've never played the payola game and dealt with those commissioners that wanted the the, the, the $5,000 cash in the bag handoff, which happens all the time yep. to, to, to know that I've actually managed to have this humble success that I've had for as long as I have. It's like, I I mean hats off to myself in in that regard because I just I never played those games and and I think I outlasted I I lasted a lot longer than a lot of those commissions wanted me to last because I literally had people like Jim Jones who I helped go from being a very just street rapper and managing dips and stuff to helping him go to a major label with videos that I've done with him from Ballin and 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 and, and videos like Pop Champagne to him fighting for me at his first big label meeting roundtable with nine executives with the video commissioner saying, oh, we know you've done some stuff before, but we've got people we work with. He's, he put his feet on the table and said, no, I only do my videos with rage. Like things like that happen. And DJ Drama, when DJ Drama was coming out of Atlanta, he was managed by my boy Lada Docman, who's affiliated with the Wu-Tang Clan. I've known that guy since since uh the mid 90s and so this is now 2004 or five or six and he knows me we're like family and when he's at atlantic records and they're telling him no work with these one or two guys he's like well i don't work with rage they said no he's difficult to work with he's like okay now i know you guys are fucked up because you guys are telling lies about somebody that i know is my brother he fought I, I did dramas first couple of big videos so like that shit happens all the time i was supposed to do uh he made me get on this tangent and i'm recalling stuff. i was supposed to do videos for Rihanna on her second album because Carl and Evan, who are in a an upstate New York, who who had her who had signed her, said we like what she's done with um, with her friend um, her her main director for a number of years. They said we want you to do her first three videos of her next album. There was a female commissioner at Universal Republic that put the block on me after three months oh, of those. Yeah, no, but like they can go on. I was supposed to do, no, I, t- I, t- I wasn't supposed to do. I was very much in the lead for doing Justin Bieber's baby, baby, baby before the end of the giving it to Ray K and like stories upon stories upon stories, just because you don't fall in a certain circle. Um, you don't have the right last name or, or, you know, you're not, it, it's that stuff. But again, being the defiant working class, blue collar, never say die relentless motherfucker. Like I am, I still managed to be in all those rooms working with most, most of those big artists and, you know, and again, finding the success that was supposed to be my way, my way, you know?
0: Well, it's good stuff, man. Cause a majority of my listeners are young uh, filmmakers and young folks that are trying to get in the business. And a lot of them don't realize how these things work. And I remember when Ian and I started to get some success and we did the Mashuga video, which yeah. really sort of elevated us into a whole new point. We
1: started That's to get calls. Video. Love, yeah, I love that video.
0: Thank you, brother. And uh, we started to get calls from, from commissioners. And I didn't know what the fuck a commissioner was. And so we started right. to get these calls from folks that were like, we would love to rep you and push you out to all these different artists and stuff. And you're like, fuck yeah, all right. And how would you like to write for Ozzy Osbourne's new video? And how would you like to do all this sort of stuff? And being a young uh, filmmaker, you're like, fuck yeah. And then you put your all into it. You're like, okay, I got to write a fucking treatment. I got to do all this sort of shit. And then you realize ultimately that these commissioners are just out there roping in as many people as they possibly can so they can throw a fucking stack of treatments in front of an artist who doesn't even, like, they're usually, like, on a break from their tour or they're on the back of the bus and they don't even want to go through this shit. And they're like... Who do we fucking know? Who do we want to hire? I don't want to read through all these fucking treatments. And so it it took me a while. And there's a few commissioners that we were working with. It took took me a while to realize, like, fuck this, man. Because I'm busting my ass, and then I'm just a commodity. And then the funny thing is, is that we would get a call from a commissioner and go, hey, the budget for this video is, I don't know, $45,000. And then we'd get the call from the band directly. And they're like, hey, we have, like, 60 grand. And you're just like right. you're like, how the fuck does that happen? And where do yeah? Like, what
1: yeah? It's it's very it's very much a shady uh, again. Video commissioners are are the, the the title alone is also you know very you know unappropriate. Uh, I should say because it implies that somebody actually. The, the, I think the the definition of commissioner implies some integrity, but there's no integrity in. I'd say, I should say there's very few that I've met, met and dealt with in the past that actually care about the artist, care about the job in the production company. Cause most commissioners uh, they only care about kissing ass to the artists they're working with so they can keep managing the budgets. Now, if you were a music video commissioner at a label, you look at that as like, okay, well I'm going to have $8 million worth of money to spend this year. Who don't want to give it to yeah. Like that's another way to look at it. And that's the way most of them do look at it. Yeah. And they had friends at our production companies they want to give the lion's share to, and they've got directors that they work on that they have that they want to give the lion's share to, and then of course in there is payola, there's trips, there's massages, there's first class tickets, there's you know high end cloud car rentals, there's all kind of shady stuff, and so all you new new guys and new girls out there, and unfortunately for you, like the glorious days of music video, that the big 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 budget days are gone, but there's still. A way to if you still aspire to the music videos, there's still some labels that will spend 50, 60, 80, maybe 100 grand on a video. Anything beyond that, it's being paid for by different brands, not the labels themselves because labels don't have the money. They just don't have the money and capital like they used to because no one's buying physical product. It's all digital. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so uh, commissioners are by and large just shady people. Um, and I've, I've, I've had it out with many of, I mean, and I, I could, I I could care if somebody wanted to come on set and have an issue, I would scream on them. I don't, I don't care. My rep would be like, what are you doing? I don't give a fuck. I'm a, I'm a grown ass man who should have been dead five times, spent time locked up in prison. Like, I don't give a fuck about what this woman or this, this dude saying to me about how to shoot a guy that's small from, from low to high, like, like, Mm -hmm. like, Shut up. Shut the fuck up. So um, again, again, like I've spoken at the New York Film Academy. I've spoken at NYU music video classes, inspired many. And actually some of those students have worked me on my sets. But what you're not going to get from me is just some, some mumbo jumbo artistic perspective. I mean, we can get into those things on on a, on a video by video, you know, um, aesthetic narrative basis kind of a thing. But overall, and sort of in this forum talking about, the business of music videos or the, or, or filmmaking, yeah. um, when these topics, I'm just going to keep it as real as I can. Good
0: man. Cause that's, there's so much of that other content out there. And I feel like there's a lot of, uh, fluff content is how yes. I would put it, you know, and it's basically PR for whoever the fuck is making that piece. Right. right. Um, and there isn't enough conversation in like, how does the business actually work? how do you survive in the business? I mean, music video stuff, Ian and I thought we were going to have a career as music video directors. And I remember getting into it. And, uh, I think we talked to like Romanek or somebody and they're like, I can't believe you're getting into it now. Essentially your budget for your videos is what our, our take was. And this was back, you know, like mid two thousands, early two thousands. So now it's, it's fucking nuts. Like we, we barely do videos anymore and we usually do stuff for folks that we know and people that we like to hang out with because there's like zero cash in it at this point. You're sort of looking at it going like, how the fuck do I make a living? And that was, that was actually my next question to you. Are you still doing, you still doing a lot of music videos, right?
1: Yeah. Like I gotta, I gotta go back and do one for, uh, this rapper name, um, little baby with this guy named Gabe. Um, I gotta do one for, Tori Lane's. Um, and they, because again, ha- having just a big body of work and people know how to reach me directly. They say, listen, rage, we get, you know, 20, we get 30, we get 40, we get 50. We have to do it in Miami, Texas, wherever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, R- Florida F- 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 called me about two months ago. He has a protege artist. I was down there for a week. We did four videos, made my money, did the videos are happy. They, so like people just call me. Direct. So I'll do them for as long as I need to, because in addition to, so, so having done this for as long as I have and getting to know as many people as I have, again, you, you're going to always have your detractors and you have your people that support you. Um, and they're like working with you. And I, one thing I'll, one general note that I will, uh, put out there to everybody is you just, you gotta be you Do, don't, don't try to kiss ass. I mean, you can, if that works for you and it has worked for some people. Uh, but for the most <laughs> part, I, I found that just being me is 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 a much better way to live my life, and I and, and is it's you don't have to keep up with any any fronts, any floss, any fake shit. Like just being you is always going to be the best, the, the best is going to result in the best possible overall uh, goal and, and situation. So so that said, I mean, people like I helped Yo Gotti get his career going with videos, and so many other other artists. I mean, I can name drop. I mean, I did Gucci main videos uh, in Atlanta when, when he was having gunfights with Jeezy in the streets, uh, when Jeezy <laughs> was a snowman, like there's so much It's funny. Cause I'm not even the most hip hop guy in the world, but just because, you know, I've done what I've done and, you know, I've been where I've been. It's like, I, I can still, you know, draw back on those memories. And, and I remember when Pitbull was just wearing t-shirts and jeans before he became, even before he came Mr. 305, let alone, you know, Mister Mister Worldwide. So uh, when when you get this history and background, people always there's enough people that know you that's going to call you to keep to keep the work coming. And when I can't do videos, I just actually just did a video with um, the drummer for One Direction. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got a new band called Everride, and I'm bringing up. Uh, I got a few young directors that I work with, um, and I uh, had John do this one video. We shot at the JBL Experience Center in Northridge, California. And great, great video. It's like, what, 15, 20 grand. Mm-hmm. made my money. Everybody's happy. And it's great. So if it's not a job that I particularly want to do, then I won't do it. Like I did a few videos with Scott Weiland before he passed away when he, when he was in a band called Art of Anarchy. And I did wow. those videos. I mean, we actually had some nice budget for those. And I just did one with the same band who had Scott Stapp replace Scott Weiland. And even though it wasn't Big Bitch, I did, I did a video with Scott Stapp. And now I'm going to be doing some stuff for her solo album coming up in 2019. So you just keep building on your resume and reputation. I mean, I'm not mock romantic. I'm not uh uh somebody, you know, Nigel Dick. I mean, those guys will always get the calls for certain jobs. Uh I mean I've done some stuff with Eleven Seven, which is one of the few active rock labels. Tommy Vex is one of my good friends who who uh, singer of Bad Wolves. Yeah. you know, they got the remake of the Cranberry Zombie. And he wanted me to do his second single, which was a great song called Um Remember When. And we went right down to the creative, but you know, the guy that owns a label is good friends with Wayne Isham. And, of course, Wayne's an OG video director. Um, why he's still directing videos at, after all what he's done, um, who knows why. But he <laughs> yeah, right. gave it to Wayne. So, I mean, you know, everybody gets that thing. No matter how big or small you are, you're always not going to get a job. Not, again, I, so the one point of contention is I, I don't feel like you don't get the job because someone else is better for it. Nine times out of ten, it's because of some other reason
0: right. and my, my, from my experience. Okay. All right. And let me ask you this too. Like, uh, let's talk a bit about the creative aspect for stuff. Uh, are you, what is your process? Do you write treatments for these things? Do you come up with ideas? Do you like to talk to the bands first? Did you just come up with straight ideas on your own? Like how do, how do you actually well, come up with your shit?
1: Typically, um, nine times out of 10 with a label, they'll send you the brief, they'll send you the song, budget range, skate schedule. It needs to be filmed in the time frame. is to be filmed in yep. and, usually some sort of loose some they're very specific creative and some are just very ambiguous um something's never been done before but it's going to be amazing like okay what is that as a creative so (laughs) so 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 some are very ambiguous um and some are more to the point so uh my first my first maybe five years i wrote a lot of treatments and this is when treatments were a lot more text heavy word heavy than than visual heavy now videos treatments are 90% 90% visual in a couple of words. I'm like, wow. And, and then I've also discovered that most people can't deliver what they're promising visually. All that aside, um, the last four or five, six years, unless it's for a major, major artist, I won't write it. I'll just have one of my uh, up and comers. I'll say this is take, take these visuals, use this one line and then elaborate And if we get it, we get it. If we don't, we don't. And that's the way I handle treatments now because after many years of having success and then as you get older in life and you accumulate things like a spouse and a house and and, and cars and insurances, you need to really divide your time. And so I can't spend all day, especially now when they go out to 50 directors as opposed to just three, you spend all day laboring over finding you know, uh, visual references and, and, and terminology, and then put it together in a PDF and then shrink it down and then have them just say, okay, oh, yeah, we didn't get to see it. So we didn't like, I, I can't. So I have young up and comers who are eager that have the eye of the tiger that want to spend, you know, and plus these younger kids can do it a lot faster than I could anyway. So, my, much like a lot of stuff on set, like I'm not going to spend all day. I can't, if I can't figure out how to download this particular new Alexa firmware, then the, the newbie from who's 18 years old, can do it in like three minutes. So like, I'll let them do that. Like, I, I, I know what my strengths are. And my strengths for me are like moving mountains and problem solving in chaos, rather than something as simple as, you know, finding the latest firmware. I <laughs> Like it. It'll, it'll take me six hours, you know? <laughs> well, all
0: right. So that leads to my next question. So as a director, what is your favorite, like, when is your Zen moment as a director? Like, what's your favorite which when is your favorite moment directing?
1: So um, it, it's always in the moment, and I, I, I'll use this little story as a as a best case example. I was meeting with Lakeshore Entertainment, um, Gary Lucchese and Bob McMen, who are the two guys that are running Lakeshore forever. Uh-huh. Bob's a business guy. Gary, uh, I'm sorry, Gary's a business guy, and and, and Bob's a creative guy. And he and after and he says we traditionally don't like music video directors, but something about your rear really spoke to me. And, and 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 of course, okay, pause this. So so I mean not pause the recording, but pause that thought. Um when you're meeting with people in this business, especially Hollywood, when they start telling you stories, you gotta start to okay, smell the bullshit monitor. like is this a real statement or is this cliche? What is this? So so right. but right. but with Bob real quick, I you know, he's a very he's a straight shooter and he said, Listen, cause of your real, this 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 and these moments really rung out to me. And I said, Wow, and that that blew my mind because those moments he picked out were moments that weren't in any um, any script or any treatment. They were moments that happened in the moment. And I said, "Wow!" I said, "He goes, what's your process?" He goes, did, "Did you go to film school?" I said, "No, I didn't go to film school. I learned on set, you know, thousands of hours, blah blah blah." And he goes, "He goes, and I and I explained. I said, so that moment there, and that moment there, and that moment there. I said they happen in the moment." And he said, "Do you know what that's called?" And I'm like, what's it called? He says, it's called painting. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's exactly what I feel. When, I'm, when I got that camera handheld and I'm doing that thing, that's what it feels like. So when he asked me when my Zen moment, like, that's like, those are the moments. When I'm on set with my crew, with my team, making it happen.
0: Great, man. That's a great moment. I I felt the same way. And I've talked about this on previous episodes. But when I started, I went to uh, New York Film Academy years ago, back in 99, and we were they were teaching us how to shoot on old black and white 16 and you're doing steam back cutting and you're doing all that kind of shit. And mm. my history, I always wanted to be a comic book artist. So I'm like a storyboard sort of visual fucking weird dude. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. When I did my first flick, I was very Hitchcock uh, influenced and I went through and I boarded out the whole fucking thing. So I storyboarded the whole movie and I went and I produced it and I shot it. And I shot it so efficiently that it was like shot, 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 bang, bang, bang. And then mm-hmm. I got right, into right. the edit, I got into the edit room and I fucking cut it like bang, bang, bang. Now, at that time, you're sharing an edit room with probably 30 or 40 other filmmakers. And they had a giant uh, Steam Beck edit bay. And you're sort of down in the basement working. And I remember being done with mine really quick. And it was sort of like punch by numbers, like, okay, here's the shots. I'll cut this, I'll cut that. And then I was floating around watching my fellow filmmakers work on stuff and they, a lot of them had different process than I did. And a lot of them were just generically, not even generically, but um, um, flying by the seat of their pants and really sort of finding things. And their whole edit process, their whole assembly process of it was a really exciting thing. Like they'd have their ups and their downs and like their highs were really fucking high. And I remember... After I went through that first, it was one of the best lessons I learned. I remember going like, fuck, okay. It's great to be prepared and you should do your homework and always be ready on set just in case you show up and everybody's drunk or everybody's hungover and you're like, all right, just follow the storyboards and we'll get our way through the day. But you have to leave it open for what you're talking about, which is this painting. It's a good term for that, which is this painting thing because there's excitement. And then if you're staying energized through all of your different steps. Like, for me, the prep is fucking exciting. Like, getting something and sort of, there is no budget at that point. You can plan everything out. You can draw it out. You can have fucking whatever you want on the page. And then you go through the physical act of producing, which is the reality of shit. Where you're like, okay, what can I afford? What are my restrictions? How many people am I getting? How many days do I get the actor? And that tends to sort of iron out that excitement. So if you can leave your your day open and or actually plan for de- for times where you can go, okay, so let's just see what happens here. You get fucking excited again. Cause then a- after you, you finish your shoot, you're like, Oh, I was miserable. And okay, l- l- give me a couple days off and I'm going to get in the edit room. And then you're back in the edit room again. And it's a whole other fucking process where it's like, okay, here's a bin full of shit that I have. How do I, well, yeah, how do I know, make it? You know,
1: for me actually, um, because the way I came I came up with and the term for it is shoot to edit which benefits me to this day because a lot of these new, new newer filmmakers come up in the world of, of HD and they think I can film forever oh and yeah dude,
0: huge difference huge difference
1: yes so so shooting to edit on five rolls of film six rolls of film of 16 or five rolls of 35 whatever it was um, you know so being on set were certainly like my, my favorite more Zen moments. But also, but also driving to set, knowing I'm gonna go shoot today. Like it's like it's like that's my. Thing. Go, going up, to, you know, pulling up, you know, crafty's there, crew's pulling in. Know my team's there. Mm-hmm. We have a mission to accomplish. Like I, I just had to go. I literally was in the city, New York, um, um, two days ago. I had to go to meet with uh, a guy named Matthew Labatite, who I'm sure you know, uh-huh. cinematographer done everything from Iron Man one and two to gothica to the fountain to inside man. to just, I mean, you name it, um, because he's interested in shooting this project I've going on in, but I had to go meet him just on the offset of, uh, of, uh, she's got to have it, which a lot of my old school crew were working on. And so, but even pulling up to that, that corner where they're shooting, seeing the trucks and the crew, like the, 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 the walkies, the chair, like, like those are my most favorite, like, moments and pulling up the set knowing that you're about to just go go play go have fun I mean even though it's work and it's a job you're gonna do like I love this work like you you, we can't get a better a better job (laughs) you know you you know I'm saying right
0: yeah dude it's like and you know what I really love which is a very rare thing I actually love and this is one of the reasons why I like chatting with you here man is I love actually having relationships with other directors because when I have the rare chance to go on set and watch another director work, that is such a pure special moment that a lot of the time you don't get. Like uh, when uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, Ian and I got to hang out with the Farley brothers while they were directing their movies and they welcomed us onto the sets and gave us headsets and shit. And it's such a amazing learning experience. And I'm, I'm fully convinced that this business is better suited as an apprenticeship business than it is anything else because you learn the most when you're actually there and you're actually witnessing or you're doing it yourself. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I've actually had, uh, I've had PAs that will work for me for two days and said, we learned more in two days than we did in four years of film school. Fuck yeah, yeah dude. I, I've got a, I've, I had a PA that was so driven, he actually drove on his own dime from New Jersey all the way to Atlanta to work on some videos I was doing. And drive all the way back up. The guy's only about five, six, five, seven, <laughs> heart of a lion. And at one at one point, I had a run. in, We were in the city doing some pickups. Me and Kim went inside the building, and he was outside. I come outside like ten minutes later, and he's literally standing toe to toe with a guy. Was like a black guy was like eight feet tall, and he's ready to throw it down. With the guy. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, he's like, well, he wanted to take your parking spot. And I, I'm like, wow. So this guy's like, <laughs> like, I, I mean, like it was like. So now. That same, that same PA is now doing, um, he runs a production office for, uh, for Blue Bloods. Oh, cool. And he, like, until this day, like, in like to this day, I've got so many people that I've helped bring up, uh, I, I, I tons of video directors and, and DPs, uh, Hannah Lux Davis, who does all the uh, Ariana Grande stuff. Now, um, a lot of the people like, um, um, that do uh, Kevin Boston that does the stuff with riveting and. And Jay Tozian just produced a Takashi 6 9 video with Nikki, like all these guys and girls, Jamie Bosworth, who does actually now, uh, she runs a company for, um, or the productions for uh, for Colin Tilly, uh, all these people that, that I screamed at, or they were going to crank with the business, <laughs> I've helped in this business and keep them working. Now, some don't even, won't even mention my name because they may, maybe just, they hate my aggressive style. But I don't care because their success is, is certainly there is my DNA runs through it. And I'm happy to say that that I was a part of it. So whether they're working on films, TV, music, videos, commercial, whatever it is, I, I will, you know, not everybody is deserving of your time or my time. But it's something in them that you see that we feel like, OK, you know what? Let's just take that little extra moment to help push them along and edge them along. Then then, you know, th- that, that's what we do as as filmmakers giving back, you know, and I tell I tell all of them, I said, I, I don't ha- and I get hit up on DMs all the time with. Up and comers saying, "How do you do this?" And I said, "I didn't have a me. There was no me. I was literally exactly. Either, exactly. either 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 fall back and die or become a filmmaker. Like that was it. There was nothing like working for my dad's firm or going back to school for six years or exactly. getting a job on what. Like, it was. It was." Film or die, you know?
0: That's kind of the reason why I started to do this podcast is that I've always said the same thing. Like, I've never, I've always wished that I had a mentor. And I think a lot of this business, everybody's really closed off. And they're concerned of like, oh, well, he might steal my style or he might steal. And it's like, fuck, dude. Your style is what your style is at that fucking moment. So if you're bringing somebody in and you're so wrapped up in like how you shoot, what frames per second you shoot at or what color luts you're using, then Jesus, you're in the fucking business for the wrong reason, dude.
1: And if you, yeah. And, and you know what? Everything's been done. Every story has been told yeah. every shot's been done before. Uh, it's like, you know, all you can do is make it new for you. And like, I used to be, I used to get like when Lady Gaga blew up, I was like, I was unimpressed. And, and listen, an, as, 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 as an entertainer, she crushed it, she killed it. She's doing it. She's still doing it. Um, but I, while I was, I was unimpressed not because of what she was not, not because of what she sounded like, but because, I had already seen it before. I had seen it. Uh, it and she she completely ripped off and stole the persona of 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 uh, Dale Bozio from Missing Persons. Uh-huh. And and if you have you seen Missing Persons? No, I haven't. So while we're on the right now, just go to just if you have another device, type in Missing Persons on YouTube, and you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. Like like and and because the longer you live, the more stuff you see. So if somebody's if somebody's 10 years old, they don't know nothing about Soldier Boy or Jim Jones or 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 Masuga. They only know what is out there right now. And and even though that new band may be doing a complete ripoff of Masuga guitar riff, that that kid 10 years old is like, wow, this is the, the best thing I've ever heard. But you're like, dude, I seen this thing 20 years ago. Like, so, like, so I I've got, I've had a I've had that moment of clarity quite a bit you know you just got to take things for what they are and I helping up and coming directors for the most part I'm very select uh, I so you know the people I let into my inner circle just because you know you just you can't trust a lot of people yeah Uh, you you, you try to you try to protect yourself as as much you can but there was always going to be somebody that disguises himself he or she and be really sneaky and conniving and do what they do you can't you can't let that deter you from still doing what you want to do and helping other people. So if they want to steal you, look, try to steal a client. It just is what it is. You just got to keep, just keep them going. So you can't live. It's like that old saying, you know, if, if your fist is closed, nothing can get out, but nothing can also come in. So, um, I just kind of live my life by that, you know, um, that, that, that general rule.
0: That's great, dude. That's great. Well, Let me see, because we've been going for about an hour now. So is there anything that you want to plug right now? Is there anything that you got coming up?
1: Well, if you you look at my IG, I can't talk too much on it, but there's a project called Cracker, which, um, C-R-A-C-K-A, which is uh, something I came up with. Actually, it was when I was first incarcerated in 1987 or 8 in Florida. Uh, There was a black guy that that, uh, we, we, we had some beef over something and maybe it was over him, uh, over a sleeve of tuna, a rock of cookies over a game of spades. But he basically looked at me and if, if I don't think he, he called me cracker, right. From the pit of his stomach is I want to kill you cracker something like that. And I think if he hadn't, if he hadn't been, hadn't go to sentence in the next day or two, it it would have been something that would have gone on, you know, you know, it would have, would have been a bad situation. Um, but I heard the term cracker back then. And um, when you hear the word cracker being spoken to you, you, you quickly realize that is it is basically the white version of the word nigga. Right. right. So um, and so many white people don't really understand the context. They know what it they kind of know what it implies. But the anger and hate that is really underneath it until you actually really being spoken in a certain way to you. You really just don't, you can't comprehend what it's all about. So all these years later, like decades later, in this time of Trump and Charlottesville and and, and social media, where I would see some of my friends I played high school with a little league. I mean, I played hockey with or baseball or soccer with and were eight, nine, ten years old. Some of these kids who are now grown men my age who... Because they're not sort of in our industry of, of social of, – of entertainment. A lot of them relate to social media and they don't understand social media etiquette and just things that you're kind of not supposed to do. So when I would see one of my old school hockey mates post a meme of, of, of a Muslim getting fucked by a donkey and saying, ha, 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 or seeing an unarmed black man getting shot in the back by a cop yeah. and saying, yeah. oh, he probably deserved it. Or saying things like, well, my parents never owned slaves, so it doesn't matter to me. they get They deserve what they get. I'm like, in, in that absolute stupidity and blindness, I'm like, okay, if they see this stuff and they don't think it's wrong, and they've read about history and all about slavery and don't think it's wrong, I mean, what what could make in, – in Charlottesville, the people getting mowed down and the, the shit that Trump says, like, they don't think it's wrong or div- divisive or racist. They don't think that's wrong. What in the hell could make these people see that it is? Right. And then it clicked. Right. I said, ah. What if it was their nine-year-old daughter getting ass fucked by a bunch of black slave masters? Or what if there was a ninety-two-year-old grandmother, sweet as pie, getting clapped in the front of the face with like a wooden stick um, or a bat? I said, ah, that might do it. And sure enough, so my my concept for what was going to be a short film called Cracker was well, it was going to be called The Enslaved. I was gonna, I was going to try to be cool and hip with it, called The Enslaved, and kind of keep keep the message uh, uh keep, keep the whole idea flipping the races hidden for the first four or five minutes i said "Nah, no nah, no nah. it needs to be called crack. it needs to be right in your face when you see white people being hung and 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 it's sure enough i ended up shooting a sizzle for it and now it's on fire with uh, uh, a bunch of networks and showrunners and i got riz on board like i got a lot of great things happening because of, so that that's the thing i want to plug more more than anything and and that's why I was meeting with that famous DP in, in town the other day. And i got a few other film projects that have been put in the back burner because of one thing or another. But, you know, we all, we all have these stories of filmmakers about this one project or second or third project that were so close to getting done and financing at a studio. But one thing led to another and it just didn't happen. And you're in this game long enough, you will have those things that happen. And, and because I'm not that kind of filmmaker that loves to schmooze at dinners and events and go to the festivals to schmooze and talk to the buyers and talk to the film lines here. I just, it's just not who I am. It's not in my DNA to be that way. I've always been that guy. This is my work. This is what I do. This is what I want to say. And I'd love for you to be a part of what I'm doing, but that's pretty much as far as it goes. Like here it is. Do you want to do what you're no? But beyond that, I just can't be chasing people down. I'd, I'd much rather wait for when the timing's right. And when the people that are aligned with you and your universe and your creative vision And what you're doing all meet at the same time, which I feel like this finally is with Cracker, then everything else after this is done can fall into place and make it make it happen.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. And I I wish you the best of luck on that. And then the last thing I would say is there any advice that you would have for a young uh, music video director getting in the business right now in a current state of the business right now? What would you
1: what would what would be the one thing you would tell them? Um, go online and scan through any hate breed song in the lyrics. That okay. was kind of a joke. <laughs> no, uh, no, I mean, no, 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 I no. It, it. Hate. <laughs> hate breed lyrics are just absolutely inspiring in so many ways. I mean, they're just like, I mean, if you stand for nothing, you you fall for anything. Just like live for this. I mean, this is now, I mean, you, I mean, so new filmmakers out there, everybody when when I was coming up and show and just after me when when Mike was coming up in in, in in those schools of people uh of of artists and filmmakers um it was before the explosion of of h d and mobile phones and wifi and bluetooth mm-hmm. and, and, and 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 all that stuff so there was a separation and and to to become a filmmaker. You needed to do a lot of work to get a camera, to get uh, the film, to get to the lab, to get a process, to get a digibeta, and get a transcode, All this stuff, get a DAT tape. All this stuff we had to do, where you can just do with one device. And everybody feels, anybody under twenty five feels like if they've got a Ronin, they've got a drone, they've got their 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 digital camera. Everybody feels like, yes, I'm a creative director, I'm a filmmaker, I've got what it takes, and maybe you are. Uh, maybe you're that one of the, of the next 100,000 that will be the one that penetrates and gets through. That being said, after you go get your drone and your, your Ronin um, and your digital camera and all, in, in, in all the latest software, and you're doing the local rapper or local band uh, or local commercial, uh, all that stuff you're, you're, you, and you're, if you're cutting faster than guys or girls before you, and you're getting it done, you're adding music, you, you, you realize after about six months to a year that you're not making a lot of money, but then you look around and you realize you've hit a ceiling and then you're literally surrounded by an ocean of other yous that have the exact same stuff. So my point in saying that is, you know, someone, someone like myself, someone like Mike, uh, We've we we we've been doing this long enough where we've got a foundation of resources and people that look to us because they know they're going to get the job they want done, done well and on time. So try to f- look as excited as you are and, and, and don't take this personally because I, I know so many of you that just because you're posting pictures of lenses and, and uh, the sunset and uh, a bee that, you know, in a macro lens <laughs> – no, no, and I, I don't mean to say that. I don't even say that. Like, like I'm trying to balance this with, 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 with inspiration, education. Like, just know that everything you're doing, everybody else can do. So, how do you? And I, I, I don't have the answer, but you need to, to kind of take what I just said and know that coming from the time we came from where it was, we could stand out easier, and show that we were good because. To get to to get to the point of showing people what we could do, it was a lot harder to get to that right. point. Now right. it's so easy to go to that point. How do you make yourself stand out? Then everybody say has, has exact same stuff as you do. And this isn't a time when we couldn't poke anybody, couldn't Google search anybody, couldn't tap, you know we couldn't do any of that stuff. It was just knocking on doors and making phone calls and then getting on set and making it happen. So you guys have the world at your feet but so does everybody else. So I guess you, you just need to try to implement some old school uh, work ethic with the t- technology you have and know that it's not, it's going to take a little more blood, sweat, and tears than maybe just being digitally engaged and social media engaged. I guess that's that's what I can sort of, in, in, you know, inspire into these guys and girls into thinking that they need to do as opposed to just, relying on technology itself. It's a
0: good point, dude. And it seems like in general, what you're saying is that it takes more than just the gear. It's more than just the toys that you purchase. It's actually going out and talking to folks. It's actually creating relationships. It's actually doing the hard leg work.
1: Um, yeah. You know, and as I, 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 you started to speak, it just, just dawned on me and it's so easy to make good stuff. Now is the, the lenses, the, the low light lenses it's so easy to you know, one of the breakthroughs in in, in in our time Mike was I was one of the first people that actually had the the Panasonic HPX yes. camera yep. Yep. which was a, which was you don't understand uh, new guys and new girls out there like to shoot variable fr- to shoot 60 frames a second on your own camera without having to be filmed was like the most legendary epic moment of all time for me. It's like, wow. Like, I mean, do you remember that? Like, yes. you couldn't shoot slow motion if you didn't have film. Like, like it was like, how do you get that, that music video look without having, you know, a big budget film camera? Like, you just couldn't. But then when that camera came out, that was groundbreaking. I took that camera on a Guns N' Roses tour in South America and shot the this, this sizzle with it. And to see DJ Ashba with the sparks and Axel Rose jumping up the stage in slow motion with a camera, with a card, that was mind blowing. Yeah. I know that sounds ancient to you guys, but I I love those moments. Like it, to be a part of the 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 technological advances that, that we've experienced is is groundbreaking. To go from like landing on the moon to like where we are now, like it's crazy.
0: <laughs> oh sure, dude. And it continues like the speed at what that shit does. Like right now, the big one for me is lighting technology and the fact that these yeah. LED units. And you don't need a generator. It changes your whole day. You don't need a generator. You don't yeah. need a truck.
1: Or, or gels. You don't need gels. It's like, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's, it's, But but meanwhile, the, like the 18 year old kid in film school is going to, they think like that's, oh, that's the way it's always been. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, again, so to, to summarize what you would just basically repeated, yeah, it's, it's, you really have to, you really have to be a lot more engaged as a human being and articulate your, 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 your vision. Um, and get to to meet people uh, in person as much as you can, rather than just relying on the camera, the lens, the software, or your Instagram page, because everybody has that exact same setup as you.